two to five, you're more than welcome to take them back now and for them to have some time on their level. In the next couple of weeks, uh, uh, we'll probably be open, reopening nursery. That's kind of phase two of, of reintroducing child care, not child care, but uh, kids' classes and stuff like that. So kind of be on the lookout for that. We'll kind of lay that out, what that plan looks like and how that's going to go. So if you got the babies, we'll have a place for them. And there are lots of babies. There's only a couple here today, but man, if you're new to Origins, you just got to know these, these people know how to make babies. Um, they just, I don't know. Man, it's crazy. Uh, got to see the color baby this past week. Neil and Lindsay Color had um, Maddie uh, over, you know, kind of right before Christmas. Uh, she's happy, healthy. Mommy is happy and healthy, and she's beautiful, even though she takes after Neil, um, which is pretty shocking uh, for her to still be beautiful. But there is a meal train out for them. If you haven't seen that yet, it'll go out in the email this week. It'll also be on Facebook. Um, we're just going to try to feed them for a little bit and make sure there's one less thing that they have to do. Um, Origins has always been super good about feeding uh, new families and families that added a child, so uh, be on the lookout for that. Yeah, so like I said earlier, um, it feels very therapeutic for a lot of people just to say goodbye to 2020. And like I have to confess a little bit, like, uh, oh, I didn't know what that was. It's been so long since I've heard it. I'm like, what, what was that? Um, like for my family, like we sat down and we talked about this the other day, and I, I talked about it with a couple of pastor buddies last week. Like for me, I think there's a little bit of survivor's guilt for me and my family. And I don't know if you know what I mean by that, but like to be honest, if we look back at 2020, um, for my family, it, it was a good year. Like it just was. Like it was a good year. Like uh, no, we didn't lose anybody. We didn't lose jobs. We didn't lose income. Uh, learning how to do the digital school and the virtual school, that was probably the hardest part combined with not seeing family at Christmas. And so from our perspective, 2020, it wasn't, it wasn't horrible. Um, and that, that's just the truth of where we are. Um, and so there's probably, like, I, I kind of feel it. And, like, you talk to soldiers who come back, and I, I don't want to diminish what they've experienced, but it's the, it's the closest metaphor that I can relate to it. Like, there's probably a bit of survivor's guilt for a lot of us who experienced a good 2020, because we know that a lot of people did not. And so, first of all, I, I want to throw this out there before we go any further. If your 2020 was good, and, and you didn't experience a lot of loss, you're okay. Okay, your response is this, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for sparing our family. Thank you, God, for sparing our jobs. Thank you, God, for sparing our business. Thank you, God, uh, for looking after us. Not that he didn't look after everyone else, but from our perspective, if 2020 was good, don't be guilty, be grateful. Okay, there's that. Here's the other danger, though, if our 2020 was really good. There's a chance that through our lens of, of goodness and through our lens of lack of loss and all those things, we can judge other people's predicaments. We can assume that because our 2020 was not bad, as a matter of fact, it was good, that other people's 2020 was not so bad. But here's the reality. Man, for, for a lot of people, 2020 was terrible. Lost family, lost loved ones, lost friends, lost jobs, lost homes, lost businesses. If you need proof of that, walk down Main Street and look at the restaurants that are closed now. It happened in our city. Talk to your neighbors, talk to their neighbors, talk to their friends. Guaranteed, you're going to find people who lost a grandmother, who lost a father, who lost a brother, who lost a coworker. Loss has occurred. For a lot of people, 2020 has been bad. And so my optimistic and willing to celebrate self says this, bye, Felicia. You know, like to 2020, like bye, goodbye, just go, get out. 
my realist side of me, which probably I lean more towards realism than I do celebration, and that's just my, my leaning, and I, I, need, I know I need to lean into God and celebrate more. My realistic side probably says that we're going to see more loss, and we're going to see more pain, and we're going to see more struggle. Okay, so that's the reality. Okay, by Felicia, but there, there's probably more to come. Um, and so today, like... We're going to start back in our First John series, pick back up in that next week. But today, what I really wanted to do is, is not so much talk about New Year's resolutions, but if you want to call them a resolution, that's fine. But I want to talk about like setting goals that are going to carry us through this year uh, in, in response to what we experienced last year or we saw people experience last year and in preparation for what's to come, both. We need, we need some goals. Um, and so I want us to open up first to the book of Lamentations a book that, honestly, I've never taught from directly, and we're only going to spend just a couple minutes there, and then we're going to talk about some things that, that I feel like we need to do as a body and as we need, we need to do as individuals. The book of Lamentations, it follows the book of Jeremiah because it was literally the lament, laments from Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, who probably had, um, by all accounts, an incredibly obedient ministry to God, but an incredibly fruitless ministry from man's perspective. Like, it was just hard, it was uh, fraught with persecution, it was fraught with loss, it was fraught with like 2020 type of stuff for Jeremiah at every single turn, coupled with persecution for the fact that he was one of God's prophets. And so it was just hard. Like, if you read the book of Jeremiah, there's some beautiful stuff there, but if you look at the life and the heart of Jeremiah and you read the book of Lamentations, you're like, man, I never want to go through that. Like, I don't want to experience that type of life. Uh, and to be honest, sometimes we are called to follow God, to be obedient to God, and that's what life looks like. But the beauty of the book of Jeremiah and even the book of Lamentations is in spite of great loss, in spite of great difficulty, in spite of huge persecution, Jeremiah can still say what he's about to say in just a minute. So in chapter 3, we're going to look at a couple of the opening verses in chapter 3, and it's going to be in the New Living Translation because it reads a little bit better. Chapter 3 is kind of in the, book, the middle of the book of Lamentations, and, and this is, he's describing his circumstance and his situation right here. This is from Jeremiah. He says, I am the one who has seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. He says, from where I stand right now, it feels like I have been beat down, I have been smashed, I have been crushed. Uh, I have been at the receiving end of God's anger. He's in the midst of a crooked generation of people that are following God, and as a result of God's uh, pending uh, or, or coming uh, punishment and actually correction to the people of Israel, Jeremiah being in there, he's experienced it. He's experienced it. Not unduly placed, because if you look at the life of Israel, if you look at the, the habits of Israel, the hearts of Israel, God had to do what he needed to do to bring them back, to bring them to repentance. And Jeremiah was amongst those people, and he says this. He's like, I am the one. I've been there. I've seen the afflictions that come from the rod of the Lord's anger. He has led me into darkness, shutting out all light. He has turned his hand against me again and again all day long. I can assure you that a ton of people coming out of the year that we just left, they feel the same way. They've seen great loss. They've seen great affliction. Man, you talk to frontline healthcare workers, and they have seen loss on a scale that we have never seen. As a, well, we haven't seen in three generations as a country. We just haven't seen it. It's real. Even if your year was great, there are other people that didn't have that year. Quite the opposite. Terrible. But if you keep going down, 
this is where he gets to. After talking about all of the things and all of the suffering and just going into beautiful metaphor of just how bad it could be, if we can say it's beautiful metaphor, he says this in verse 19. He says, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. 21, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is His faithfulness. His mercies begin fresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in Him. For people of God, in spite of great loss, in spite of great difficulty, in spite of great persecution, we cannot forget that God's faithfulness never ends. His mercies every single morning should be new to us. We should wake up with an understanding that we deserve far worse. And we should be reminded that our hope, just like the song that we just sang, our hope must be anchored in God and God alone. Because if we anchor our hope in our circumstances, man, it's going to be a rough day, a rough year, a rough decade. But instead, we anchor our hope in God who does not change whose ways are perfect because He is, and whose faithfulness, man, it will never run dry. I think it's easier said than done. And that's, that's me being honest. It's easier said than done because we are a people that are very often informed by our circumstance instead of being informed by eternity. And we talked about that a few weeks ago. We're very often informed by our circumstance instead of being informed by eternity. So this is the goal for this year leaving 2020 behind, accepting 2021 as it comes. And, and to be honest, like a day on a calendar does not change what goes on. Just because 2020 ended doesn't mean that 2021 is automatically going to be better. It's still just another day. Everything that happened then is still happening now, but it gives us a glimmer of hope because there is some newness there, and we like newness. And by the way, God's in the business of resurrection, so yes, we can believe that He can resurrect a lot of things. As a matter of fact, He resurrects the dead. He resurrected my dead heart. Hopefully, He's resurrected yours. So yes, in the business of resurrection. But for us, the goal, the goal by the time we get to this point in 2022, a year from now, we need to be able to look back at everything that's occurred, 2020, 2021, and we need to be able to echo the words of Jeremiah, that great is your faithfulness. Your mercies never end. As a matter of fact, they're new every single morning. And my hope is not tethered to circumstance. It's tethered to you. It's tethered to you. That's the goal. Again, easier said than done. So today, what I wanted to do is I wanted just to give us like four things that I think are universal for every believer, that uh, especially in the midst of struggle, but even in good times, like these four things, I think if we do these a year from now, we'll be able to look back and say those things that Jeremiah said. I believe it. A year from now, we'll be able to say that, uh, God, your faithfulness, it knows no end. Your mercy new every day. My hope is in you and nothing else. I think four ways, four things for us to do. Um, and I think a lot of us may hear these if we've been growing up in the church or if we've grown up in the church or maybe even we've been here for a year. A lot of these you're going to hear and you're going to be like, I've heard that before. There's a reason we've heard that before because they're important. They're imperative. They're like, 
man, fundamentals for us. The first, the first uh, let's look at John chapter 15, verses 1 through 5. Um, it's going to come from there. John 15, 1 through 5, should be up there. He says, I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser or the gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean of the word that I have, clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I think the first thing that we do, a goal that we set, an action step that we put in place is, man, here's the first one. Ready for it? Super complex, really, really deep. Spend time with God. And I know you're like, man, that's super simple. I heard that in Sunday school. There's a reason. Like, it's important. It's huge. It's It's pivotal. Spend time with God, but not just spend time with God, like prioritize spending time with God. Be intentional about spending time with God. You could even say be religious about spending time with God. That's okay. We're not talking about legalism. Legalism is doing something in order to earn God's favor. No, no, no. We're living in response to already having God's favor as a result of Jesus. We have been granted access to God. We have been granted knowledge to God. We've also been granted responsibility to pursue and seek God. And so we must, as personal responsibility, prioritize actually spending time with Him, being on the vine. We cannot be on the vine unless we get to know the vine. He even says, look, uh, I am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser or the gardener. He's like, look, already uh, you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. You've been granted access. Now abide in me and I in you. We have to learn who this is that we're supposed to be close to, who this is that we are supposed to live in, who this is that now says he is living in us, and there is no substitute, not a single one, for just spending time with God and His Word. No substitute. We can't trust experience. We can't trust other people's words this much. We can't trust anything else more than this. Just prioritizing, making it a part of your life, spending time with God in His Word. There's no way around it. There's no way around it. Several women in Origins right now are having a a women's Bible study, and it's the first one like this that we've gotten to do. And they're just, man, they're walking through the big picture of Scripture. And it's beautiful to hear some of them saying, man, it's, it's amazing how much I didn't know about the Bible. That may sound like a negative to a lot of people. That's an incredibly positive thing for me to hear. People just exclaim, there's so much that I didn't know, and I'm hearing it for the very first time. I love that. That's huge. Prioritizing, spending time with God, getting to know who He is through His Word primarily. And like while there's a corporate structure to this, while it's important that we do it together, man, we have to accept the responsibility that we have to do it individually. Like me, myself, I have to pursue God through his word, me personally. And then when we come together, we do it together. Uh, And I would even encourage you to do this. As you're doing it individually, even though while it's a primary responsibility of yourself, no one else is going to train you in righteousness. You have to train yourself Even while we're doing it in myself, with me, myself and I, personal responsibility, we invite someone else in. For accountability, for just an idea board, for all those things, we invite someone else in. It might not mean that we sit in the same room at the same time and read the same passage, but it means that we're on the same journey together, simultaneously but apart. 
someone to, to call you, text you, email you, say, hey, did you, did you read that today? Because this is what I read. This is what I heard. This is what God is showing me. What did he show you? Simple. Accountability, sounding board, all those things. Good. Invite someone else in. Man, on the back table today, we've got some sheets of paper, um, and I think this would be a great goal for everybody. Now, a lot of people have tried this. A lot of people start January the 1st off really, really strong, say, I'm going to read the whole Bible this year. I'm going to do it. I'm going to read the whole thing, front map to back flap, the whole thing, or front map to back. Either way, however you do it, flap to flap, map to map, I'm going to read it all. And people get to about January the 7th, and they're like, oh, I'm already seven days behind. What do I do? i got to read 45 chapters today, and part of it's in Leviticus. I have no idea where I am. I don't even know where I'm walking right now, but this is killing me. Back there is a five-day reading plan. Man, I've never seen it. It's great. I've, been, I've already looked through it. I haven't got to do it because it's pretty new. Um, but you, five days a week, you've got two flex days, kind of two grace days every single week. We love grace. We love grace. Five days a week through the whole Bible in a year. And they did a great job at, like, taking the Old Testament chronologically, so you may, you may start in Chronicles before you even get to First and Second Kings, and that's okay. And then uh, at times in which David wrote a psalm in response to going through something, you read that on the same day. Really neat. And you're always going to read a passage in the New Testament every day. And so there may be a day in which you are. You are in Leviticus, and it's hard. You're like, I don't understand what's going on. But you're also going to probably have a psalm or a proverb and a, a chapter in the New Testament, and so it's going to balance itself out. Man, grab one on your way out. Talk to me for a link. I'll send it to you. There's two pages back there. You grab both. Stick it in your Bible. Check it off as you go. Two flex days each week. Grace. We love grace. Two grace days. Five days a week. You can do this. There's two ways that we generally read the Bible. We can read the Bible for familiarity, and that's what this goal is, to be familiar with the whole story. But we can also read it uh, for like this, this intimacy level. That's not what this is. If, if that's you and you want to read for an intimacy level, you've read the entirety of the Bible already, talk to me. Man, come see me. Talk to Neil. Talk to your community group leaders. Talk to my wife. Talk to John. Talk to John. Talk to Christine. Uh, talk to, man, talk to Zach and Becky. They're new, but go ahead. Just say, hey, I need help. I want to know. And you know what they're going to say? Okay, let's help. Let's go. Man, talk to us. But, but if you just need to be familiar with the entirety of Scripture, man, it's a great way to do it. Another great way, and I talk about it a lot, is like the soap journals. I soap on an almost daily basis. That's the way that I read Scripture, and that's probably still the way I'll apply it when I read through these. But, man, if you want a soap journal that will take you through all of Scripture in a year, man, I'll buy you one. I'll buy you two. I'll buy you three so that you can give two away. We'll buy them for you. Man, it's just a great way to look at it and say what's being said, what's going on, how do I apply this, and how do I start to pray this? Soap, Scripture, Observation, Application, Prayer. I love it. I fought it for years because I thought, man, it's got a journal attached. This must be girly. I'm a guy. I don't need no journal. But, hey, it's been good. I enjoy it. And I probably just let out too much machismo and people are like, what's wrong with you? I just am who I am. It's just me. But, anyway, it's good. If you want to do that, man, I'll buy the journal for you. I'll buy them so you can give them away so you can invite somebody in to do it with you. So be intentional. The other part about this is uh, we already talked about having a plan. Like have a plan. If you, uh, if you go into it without a plan, you're planning to fail. So have a plan. It's okay. This is not, man, this is not legalism. This is intentionality. This is smart. And schedule it. Have a plan, but schedule it. Man, we put everything else in our calendar. Everything. Like my day is marked by just one appointment after another, after another, after another. Man, maybe for you what you need to do is you need to schedule it. Put it on your calendar every day, five days a week, five days a week, schedule it. 
30 minutes right here. Maybe it's at lunch hour, maybe it's before breakfast, maybe whatever. Don't do it when you lay down in bed at night, just speaking from experience. It will not happen. It won't happen for me. Maybe it can happen for you. It won't happen for me. Schedule it. Be intentional. Have a plan. Schedule it. Invite someone in. So that's the first. Man, intentionally spend time with God. Next, we're going to hop over to Jeremiah 29. Classic, classic chapter in the middle of the, the Old Testament. The, uh, the people of Israel have been exiled. And again, again, Jeremiah is writing to the exiles as a result of their disobedience and their unwillingness just to pursue God. They get exiled, and God's going to do something amongst them. But in Jeremiah chapter 29, verse 4, uh, 4 through 7, he says, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses, live in them, plant gardens, eat their produce, take wives, have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. But seek the welfare or the shalom of the city where I have sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf for its welfare and you will find your welfare. In this beautiful passage, the people have been exiled and they're, they're fighting it. They're like, I don't want to be here. This is not my home. And you know what God says? God says it is your home and it's your home for my glory. So build houses, plant gardens, seek the shalom of the people. Shalom meaning God's peace, God's goodness, God's direction. Seek that for them. As a matter of fact, pray for it for them. Yes, they're pagans. They don't worship me. Pray that they will. Here's the second thing that some of us need to do. Man, we need to unpack our boxes. Like, I don't understand. We live with this, this allure of transience. This is the marker of downtown Greenville. Now, I know for you, Larrabees, I'm not talking to you because y'all just moved and y'all got a lot of boxes. You take your time on those boxes. But for the rest of us, always, we always live with this allure of transience, this, this idea that I'm going to keep just enough of me packed away so that if I need to go, I can go. I can leave. And what we do as a result of that, we never allow roots to go deep. We never allow them to penetrate the earth that we're standing on right now. As a matter of fact, the earth that we have been placed on right now by the sovereign will of God for His glory. Instead, we're just ready to run. We're ready to bolt. We've got that wanderlust. And so we never truly invest. If that is you, if you feel that, if you're unwilling to commit, if you're unwilling to just, man, really just jump in to where you are, unpack your boxes. Put stuff in drawers. Put down roots. It starts in your neighborhood, where you live. Put down roots in your neighborhood. Get to know your neighbors. Who are they? When is their birthday? What do they like to do? What do they not like to eat? So that when you invite them over to grill, you don't put the wrong thing on the grill. Been there. Done that. Get to know them. Put down roots where you live for the glory of God. In your workplace, don't just be waiting to find another job. You are where you are for a purpose, not yours, his. Wherever you work, whatever you do, do it for the glory of God. Put down roots. Invest there, even if it's fast food. And I don't think any of you work in fast food. If you do, that's okay. But if you're there, hey, put down the deepest roots you can. The deepest roots you can. Invest there. Get to know the person that stands beside you, that works beside you, in the cubicle beside you, in the office across the hall, the person that goes to the lunchroom at the same time as you every single day for the glory of God. Get to know them. 
Some of us are afraid to put down roots even in our own home. Afraid to put down roots even in our own home. Invest there for the glory of God. Man, and lastly, as a, as a church, as a body of believers called to this city, man, find ways to put down roots here. Here. There will always be your personal mission, which will be where you live, where you work, but then there's going to be our corporate mission, which is right here. This is the epicenter. And we're going to draw an imaginary circle around this spot right here, and we're going to invest in this city and love this city for the glory of God. I don't care if you live in Greer. I don't care if you live in Malden or Woodruff. That's our corporate mission, and that will always be our corporate mission. And we're going to do our best to take ownership of this city, to do the best that we can to make sure every man, woman, and child has repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel. Put down roots with us. Put down roots with us. And what that means is you show up. That's step one. You're present. You're present in body. Your mind and your spirit will follow. You get here. Make it a priority. Now, I know during this time, man, COVID has made things complicated. And if you're at home, I understand if you're not here. That is okay. You're watching there. You do that. Stay in contact with people. Stay relationally connected. Stay tethered to people, the people that brought you in, the people that you're bringing in. Put down roots. Figure out what it looks like. Man, when community groups kick back off, it's probably going to be February before they do. We're just kind of watching the water to see what kind of waves come up. We want to do it the best and the safest way that we can. When they pop back up and when they're open again, get in one. Get in one. Put down roots. Unpack your boxes. Figure out what it looks like. Because I know we all just, man, wanderlust is real. We all want to know what's next. And if we're thinking so hard about what's next, we miss what's right now. And God has called us to right now and tomorrow, but we won't get to tomorrow until we live today. And I know that's a lot. Of, that's, a, that's a lot. But either way, man, put down roots. Figure out what that looks like. And then lastly, not lastly, but as a part of that, and in all those places that we're putting down roots, the same way in which he told the people that were exiled, like, seek the shalom, seek the welfare, man, we need to be doing it in such a way that we want what is best for those people where we put down roots amongst. We want what's best for our neighbors. And do you know what ultimate best is? Jesus. Jesus. Now, yeah, we want them to have a good job. We want them to have safety. We want them to have security. We want them to have all those things. But ultimately, we want Jesus for them. Love your neighbor as yourself. Man, if we're loving them as ourselves, we want them to have what we have. I have Jesus. I want my neighbors to have Jesus. That's not me being judgmental. That's not me being hypocritical. That's not me being dogmatic. No, I want what is best. And Jesus is ultimate. Jesus is best. Jesus is eternal. Want what's best. Want what's best for what the people in your workplace. Want what's best for the people in your home. Want what's best for the people in your city. Want what's best in the, for the people in your neighborhood. Want what's best for them. Seek the welfare on their behalf. Seek welfare on their behalf. Pray for them. We'll come, to, come back to that in just a minute. Philippians 1.27. We'll flip back there. Paul's in prison writing to the people at Philippi at this point again, and he even tells them, like, look, you may think that's bad, but what I want to tell you is it's pretty good. Even though I'm in prison again, there are people that have given their lives to Jesus as a result of me being in prison. So, yes, uh, you can want me out of prison, but also celebrate the fact that people are, man, they're giving their lives over to Jesus. It's good. But then he starts to go into instruction for them in verse 27. 
and he uses a word that we get our idea of political from. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or I am absent, I may hear that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for faith in the gospel. He said, live uh, worthy of the calling that has been placed on you. And the way that it's going to be evident is you're going to be unified. Be unified. Man, at the end of a year, if we're going to look back and be able to say, great is your faithfulness, your mercies are new every morning, my anchor is tethered securely to you, Jesus, Uh, we as a people of God must be unified. We have to be And here's the temptation right now. It seems like every month over the past nine months, something new has arisen to cut us apart, to pull us away from each other. I mean, look, just look back at the past year. First, it was COVID. It's not real. It's political. It is real. It's the worst thing ever. Just extremes. The pendulum has just swung from one side to the other, and there's been very little middle ground. Should we gather? Should we not gather? Should we close businesses? Should we keep them open? Uh, Should we give people free money? Should we not give people free money? Oh, there's a vaccine. Should I take it? Should I not take it? If you take it, then you're terrible or you're great. If I take it, I'm terrible or I'm great. Either way, it's just one thing after another after another that said, look, you cannot be unified. I will cut you apart. We have to stop and say that none of these issues are in, or definitely none of these issues are more important than the relationship that God has grafted me grafting me to him, grafting us to one another. None of these differences can possibly tear us apart, but, or should tear us apart. But the problem is we've let them. We've let them. And I'm not saying we as a church, you have let them, because I honestly haven't seen it a lot as a church, and I'm super pleased by that. And I think that what we're doing is pleasing to God, but the temptation is there. And I can promise you next month there'll be something else that can cut us apart again. We have to choose, and it's okay to have different opinions. It's okay to think differently about things. It's okay to vote differently. It's okay to feel differently. All of those things, it is okay. But at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how we feel or how we vote as long as we're still unified on those huge things, those important things. And that's this, that every man, woman, and child needs repeated opportunities to hear and respond to the gospel, and that's our mission, our mission alone. There is no plan B. We are plan A. We are it. Could God have done it another way? He's sovereign. He could have done whatever he wanted. But guess what? He chose to utilize his people, his army of the redeemed, to make sure that people get to hear about Jesus. And we can let those things divide us and separate us, or we can choose just to have different opinions, and it's okay. I've told people before that the people of origins are the most diverse group of white people I've ever seen. And it's true. I want diversity on a different level. I really, really do. Like, I desire that. I strongly, strongly desire that, to look more and more like our city as it ventures out past Main Street. I want that. But for right now, our diversity sits in the fact that we have very different opinions on a lot of different things. And that's okay. We celebrate that as long as we come together on who Jesus is, who he's called us to be, and what he's called us to do. Because all the other things, they're just differences. They're just differences. I don't care how strongly we feel about them. They're just differences. And that's okay. I think we celebrate that. Man, I think I will. Like, I will celebrate the fact that we are different. And that's okay. Be unified.
And here's the hard part. In order to be unified, in order to, to live as people that are called and bought by Jesus, live worthy, um, that means that sometimes we have to choose to leave our preferences at the door in favor of people. We have to choose to leave our preferences at the door in favor of people because people are far more important than preference. Far more important to preference. God never said you're going to be linked to your preference, but he said, I am going to link you together. I'm going to make you family with other people. I'm not going to make you family with your preferences. Sometimes we have to choose to leave our preferences at the door in favor of people. And man, that's hard because we own our preferences. We've developed our preferences. We have cultivated those preferences. They are mine. They're more yours than your mortgage. I mean, they're mine. Sometimes at the very end of the day, they're not that important. Not in the grand scheme of things. Be unified in pursuit of God and, man, repeating the gospel and seeking the welfare of our city. Here's the fourth thing that I think we, as a church, have to do if we're going to look back and say, God, your mercies, they're new every day, your faithfulness, it's great, expansive, never ends. My hope is tethered to you. If we want that for the rest of our city, here's the other thing. We need to begin now. You need to begin now. I need to begin now. Pray for three people who don't know Jesus. Begin. Write their names down. Write their names down, put them in your journal, put them on your reading plan, put them in your Bible, put them on the mirror in your bathroom, it doesn't matter. Put them somewhere that you're going to see them every day and you're going to pray for them by name that God would redeem their soul and link them eternally to Him. Not that you can save them, not that I can save them, but that He and He alone will save them through the conviction of the Holy Spirit, through repentance from their sin, through trusting in Jesus and Jesus alone so that they can anchor their hope to Him by name. Three people. And we pray until their salvation is set. So that may mean that you pray for more than a year. It may mean that you pray for more than two years, three years, but you continue to pray for those three people. And I know what a lot of you are saying. Well, I don't know three people who don't know Jesus. Well, you're probably wrong, number one. And if you're wrong, that means you just need to open your eyes and you need to talk to people. You need to figure out who they are. You need to put down roots in that relationship quickly to find out who they are how they like their steak, metaphorically speaking, if they eat steak, metaphorically speaking. Who are they? Do they know Jesus? And if they don't, you begin to pray for them by name every day. You invite other people to pray for them by name. Your community groups, hey, you let them know. Hey, this person, I see them every second Tuesday, whatever it may be, and I want them to know Jesus. And you begin to pray for them. And not only do you pray for them, you pray for opportunities through you or someone else for the gospel to be shared for them. Because according to Romans 10, faith comes through hearing and hearing the word of God. They must hear the gospel. And there's a very good chance that they could hear the gospel from you. From you. Rest in your story. We've talked about that. But man, it starts with praying for those people by name, daily, consistently, repeatedly, and with great faith that God is going to hear you and do what you ask. And it could be your husband, it could be your wife, it could be your mother, it could be your father, it could be your kids, it could be your best friend, it could be whatever. It could be your golfing buddy if you so choose to golf. I don't, but that's okay. I wasn't built for it. Arms are too short. I don't care. Pray for them by name, that God would save them, bring them into the family. And then after he does, because you've spent time praying for them, guess what? Your next job is to see that they know what they've asked to see that they know 
like all the things that we've just talked about, what it means to spend time with God, what it means to unpack their boxes, what it means to be unified. Guess what? We call that discipleship. And you get to do that. You get to do that. We can help you. We can guide you. But that's our responsibility, every one of us, not just mine, not just elders, not just pastors, but all of ours. It's far easier said than done to get to the end of loss and destruction and pain and to say, God, your faithfulness is great. Your mercy never ends. My hope is tethered to you. But I'll tell you this, it's impossible to do if we don't know him, if we don't talk about him, if we don't spend time wanting him for other people. It's impossible to say those things. And we'd be lying if we did, to be honest. So man, over the next year, I would encourage you, I'm encouraging me, I'm, I'm pushing myself for these same things because, man, these are my action steps. Man, just spend time with him. Put down deep, deep roots. Uh, man, begin to, begin to seek unity, promote unity, pray for unity, and then pray for people to be saved. If we're just meeting without the hope of God saving people, we need to stop. I'm serious. If we are meeting, if we are gathering, if we're doing all of this without the hope and the ask and the request over and over and over for God to save people, we need to stop. And I don't want to stop. So let's continue. God, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for being uh, hope for us. In the midst of hopelessness, we thank you that you're the only place that, that we need to put it, the place that holds our anchor, the place that, that holds us, God, in, in spite of circumstance. God, I pray that we would get to know you better this year. I pray that we would get to know our neighbors better this year. God, I pray that we would begin to just put down roots that are so deep that they're unshakable because they're set in you and they're for your glory. And God, I pray that you would save people this year, people that are connected to our people, because we've sought you on their behalf and you've done great works because of Jesus and because of your glory. God, I thank you for loving us. I thank you. Um, I thank you that you've placed us in a world that needs you. You've called us to a mission that's hard that we can't possibly do on our own and we can't possibly do without each other, but we need you in us individually and we need you in us corporately. God, I pray we would rely on you fully. So if you would just kind of stay in a, a spirit of prayer, we're going to, it's the first Sunday of the month and we do communion. Um, because of uh, COVID, we're, we're doing it a little bit differently. We have cups set up with bread in one cup and juice in the other. Uh, if you'll kind of keep some distance between you and the next person in front of you in line, just walk and grab one of each of those and you can come back to your seat. And while we're doing our closing song, you can take of the bread and take of the juice. Uh, in, in this faith family, the way that we do that, the table's open. Anybody is free to take communion if a couple things apply. Number one, uh, you are a professing follower of Jesus. You have given your life to him. Uh, you know him. You have abandoned your sin. You have chosen him over your sin, uh, and you've trusted in him to make you right with God, him and him alone. So that's, that's number one. Number two, you're also in good standing with God. That means that there's no sin that's in your life that's currently unconfessed. Uh, you're not entertaining things that you shouldn't be doing. You're not letting them take root and, and overcome your life. Uh, and so if number two cannot apply to you today, maybe you just need to sit and you need to say, God, 
here's what I've been doing instead of seeking you. And I confess it. I want to turn from that. Repent from that today. And then you're free to take communion. Um, And then you can just take it, bring it back. You can do it with your family. You can do it with your spouse. Or you can do it individually. And when we take the bread, we're simply remembering this. That God's body, represented by the bread, was broken for me, for you. Because without it, we could not possibly know God. And then a continuation of that, as we drink the juice, his blood was spilled on our behalf. Because according to, to the book of Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. So a price had to be paid, and it was a price that we could not pay. Jesus paid it for you, for me. And so we remember him as we take the bread and the juice. But not only that, we also look forward to the fact that he's coming back. And he's not leaving us here. He's not going to stay away forever, but he's going to come back and he's going to fix every single thing. (laughs) So we remember, we celebrate in advance, and we do it as a family. So I'm going to pray. We're going to worship. And as you feel led, you just walk slowly, grab one uh, cup of each, and, and then however you feel led, you do that. If you need to pray first, you pray first. If you need to repent, confess, do that first. If you need to speak to a pastor, we will be standing in the back. Uh, you can just tap us on the shoulder, and we'd love to talk to you. God, we love you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you that Jesus paid a price that I could never possibly pay. God, thank you that uh, because of him I can know you, I can be united with you, uh, not just for a day, not just for a week, but forever. God, as a family, as a faith family, as we take communion today, God, I pray that we would remember Jesus. I pray that we would celebrate uh, his pending return. And God, I pray that we would remember him and celebrate as a means of motivation for us to be the people that you've designed us to be, desire us to be, and reborn us to be. Thank you, God, for your plan, your plan that includes to use us greatly for this city. I pray that we would accept it. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for forgiving us. And thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen.